Hey everyone, and welcome to Wish Upon a Star episode Fantasia! Episode Fantasia! Woo! Yeah, this is a different episode than we're usually going to have, but I'm still Frodo the lawyer. I'm still Amanda the person, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to talk about one song today, or one song. Aww. We're talking about a whole movie, and that movie is... Fantasia, which is the third movie in the Disney animated canon. Am I still allowed to talk about one song during our discussion of Fantasia? Maybe, if it's relevant, but it's, but it probably won't be, so Fantasia, <laughs> we're doing Fantasia. <laughs> so thankfully there's not really any singing in Fantasia, except uh, <laughs> maybe the very last song we get a little bit of it. But for the most part, Fantasia, if you're not accustomed to it, because... We almost, uh, at least I and some people that might be familiar with it, almost take for granted the concept, but the concept of Fantasia is animation to classical music. So if you're not really into classical music, um, too bad, you're listening to the rest of the episode. You're stuck now. Yeah, um, haha, <laughs> we've trapped you in our podcast web. Yeah. Um, the term Fantasia, actually, I have it written here, it, it means something in music. It means a free form of music, so. Well, they certainly embraced yeah. that. Yeah, it's a it's a word that means stuff. Yeah. But Amanda, since this is going to be a heavily musicified episode, can you maybe share a little bit about your background with music and uh, why you are qualified to discuss these fine classical musicians? Well, Frodo, didn't you know I'm the host of the very popular Wish Upon a Star Disney Song by Song podcast? Oh, really? Um, yeah. Do tell. You check it out. Yeah, it makes me qualified for pretty much anything I want to do. <laughs> Um, but Frodo and I, of course, met in band, um, in college. Marching um, band. Marching band, yeah. Not just, like, a rock band. That would yes. be cooler, probably. But <laughs> yeah. would have fewer members for us to be friends with who would listen to this podcast. Um, men in band, I play the flute and the piccolo. Um, so I played that in various music things since elementary school. Played a bunch of the songs that were in here. And some of the songs that were cut from this movie, which make me sad. Um, so I like classical music. I don't, like, hang out and, like, just, like, sit there watching something happen with it, which made this movie interesting at times. But I appreciated it having it, like, as a background melody to my note-taking about the movie. And I have a similar background, sort of. Um, I was a trumpet player growing up in concert band and also an orchestra. And now, well, and then I was in the marching band with Amanda, so I guess the point is that we both have background in music. <laughs> we might not be as expert as, uh, for instance, the famed Dan Batchelder, who has been on this podcast before. Yeah. But We're certainly as qualified as like the average audience in 1940 was to, to yeah. appreciate this movie. So well, I maybe think we're not. doing okay. Maybe not, actually. <laughs> um, in fact, the conductor of this, uh, of this esteemed program, uh, Stokowski, um, he was apparently a, a somewhat of a celebrity at the time, so... Uh, well, maybe maybe the the random concert goer at this time of the world was better than us. Well, he was just like the Lin Manuel Miranda of nineteen forty. So we've been talking about how this is animated classical music, and we might f take for granted the fact that oh, it's Fantasia. That's what it is. It's classical music animated. But this that concept didn't really exist uh, until Disney. So. I want to talk a little bit about what led us from, you know, your Mickey Mouse cartoons to the point where we're now having a Fantasia movie. Um, 
And it's mm. an interesting sort of story, but I'll just run through Delightful. it quick. I I didn't read about this in a book. I actually watched about this on the YouTubes, so... Nice. <laughs> um, nice. So, back in the... Uh, in the early years of Disney, Walt would make cartoons with Oswald. It was Oswald the Rabbit was the original guy, and then Mickey Mouse, and these were character-based cartoons of the era. And then there was another series of cartoons that were called the Silly Symphonies, and we mentioned these in the episode of the podcast when Dan joined us, but these Silly mm-hmm. Symphonies were kind of the prototype or the the first instance of something that was Fantasia-like. It was not character-based stories, but it was right. It was animation based around song. And so there's you know, trees doing things, and there's the Dancing Skeletons one. Uh, <laughs> forgetting the actual <laughs> names of these, the, the, the music. No, I, th- that's it. You got it. So we had these silly symphonies, and Disney wanted to do another one, but he wanted it to feature Mickey Mouse. And so that was kind of the genesis of the idea of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which we'll talk about. And I know, yes. Amanda, you, you are into that one, for sure. Yes. So that was the first one that Disney had come to mind. But then he started working with Leopold Stokowski, who is the the orchestra director, the conductor of the uh, Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra. And Stokowski was going to help him out with the... Sources Apprentice, but then they thought, well, instead of just doing these individual songs like we've done with Silly Symphonies and they were going to do with Sources Apprentice, why not put a bunch of these together and make it a concert? Make it like you're going to a concert hall, something that would have been popular in the day because they didn't have TV or cool stuff yet. They just had boring yeah, stuff. So. Like music and Disney songs. And books. Yeah. Going to a concert hall. I mean, that still exists now. People still go to see the New York Philharmonic sure. and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra or wherever. But it was more of a thing then, and that was what Disney wanted to replicate. But he wanted to show, hey, we can take this sort of highbrow fancy art form and we can we can blend it with animation. So this was kind of the, the whole concept of it, was to create what Disney called a concert feature. So a feature film that's a concert, it's Disney, all wrapped into one. And... We're going to talk about it now. <laughs> yeah, here we are. Um, I, th- yeah, I know was... I've said that I've liked this movie a mm-hmm. lot. I don't think I saw the whole thing when I was a kid. I can't have. Yeah, I don't think I saw the final number, which is the Night on Bald Mountain, because I think that my parents thought it was too scary for me. Your parents were correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't have much familiarity with this. I know I've seen it at some point, but uh, Fantasia 2000 was the one that I was much more familiar with. What was your experience Same. like with, with the two of them? Yeah, I mean, I knew Sorcerer's Apprentice pretty well, and then, like, watching it, I realized that I knew um, the Nutcracker Suite bit, like, the animation really well. I think that must have been, like, on one of those, like, compilation videos that Disney put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I knew Night, and Bald- Night on Bald Mountain. I had, like, seen, obviously, parts of Dance of the Hours and Pastoral Symphony. Yeah. So, I think I must have just seen it, like, maybe when I was really little, and then mm-hmm. just, like seen Fantasia 2000 and just sort of been aware of it the whole time. Right. Else. And Fantasia 2000 does have Sorcerer's Apprentice as well, so it, right. that would be a reason why we're all more familiar with, with Sorcerer's Apprentice. Plus, they just use that a lot more in, like, yeah. Disney marketing and, like, Disney, like, parks and things like that. They don't market Takata and Fugue? It's super I, weird. I they... Speaking of Disney parks, though, Whoa. I got some things I can talk about when we get to bits later. 
based on my recent experience. Oh, where where were you again? I was in Disneyland. Disneyland. Fredo, we rode Space Mountain eleven times. <laughs> in like like back to back or just the most we did was five times in a row. Were there lines? There's a there's a single rider line for Space Mountain that's like not really advertised. Hmm. But also, we saw Phantasmic, which has a lot of the pieces from Fantasia, and I cried a whole bunch, so I, I'm looking forward to talking about that It's later. true that Disney does market Fantasia's music, especially Sorcerer's Apprentice and things yeah. like Phantasmic. Um, yeah. I mean, the Sorcerer's Hat was, like, the big feature of Hollywood right. Studios in Orlando until recently, and now it's gone, and I do miss it, but, hmm. yeah. Yeah. Have they replaced it with something? No, but they just, like... I mean, they're redoing that entire park, but, like, now you can see the Chinese theater. Uh, it's becoming, like, Star Wars-y. And, Star Wars, uh, tours, Toy Story. People eat land. No, Pandora is an animal kingdom. Because they're animals. That's, that's, <laughs> the whole, that's the whole point of that movie, is that we're supposed to consider them animals, right? Yep, 100%. Let's talk about Fantasia, though. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Um, <laughs> so, the show begins, and we, uh, we're not listening to music yet. The orchestra comes out into the stage, and then we have some dude. He walked on, and I was like, oh, that's the conductor. And then he, like, talked a bit about the music. This guy stole a bunch of our thunder because he explained every song before it happened. And I'm like, dude, that's literally what we're about to do on this podcast. I can't just take it. But then he was like, and here's the conductor. And I was like, well, who the hell are you? But he's the MC, and his name is Deems Taylor, which is a great name. Yeah, Deems Taylor. So there's an interesting story behind him. He was a music critic and a composer and things, and, and he was kind of an advisor helping out Disney and Sikowski plan Fantasia, mm-hmm. but he ended up being the narrator. But actually, if you are watching the 2000 or 2010 DVD, which is probably what most people have seen, right? it's not his voice. Ooh. Twist. Yeah, it's a twist. Uh, Deems Taylor was replaced he uh, he was no longer uh, the one who we hear. And that's because between the 1940 release and then now, there were a bunch of other releases in the middle. Many of these releases were shorter and caught a lot of parts, including some of the Deems-Taylor dialogue. And then when they wanted to put it back in for the 2000 edition, because even the, the 94, uh, even the 1990 release on VHS and Laserdisc didn't have Deems Taylor, so they wanted to add him back mm-hmm. in, and then when they added him back in, they didn't have the audio, it wasn't in the right quality, so they got this guy Corey Burton to re-record and essentially dub over Deems Taylor, the video of him. So, uh, there is some original Deems Taylor audio out there, and there's a YouTube comparison. He's doing a pretty good impression. It's not like you're really <laughs> missing much. Sure. Um, but Corey Burton is a voice actor all over Disney. He currently is the voice of Ludwig von Drake, Captain Hook, uh, a few others. He He's done Count Dooku in some of the Star Wars cartoons. So Nice. He's a, he's a legitimate guy. He does stuff. Uh, nice. Good for him. It seems as though he does a lot of when the movie characters move to House of Mouse or some other TV yeah, show. Yeah. He takes over for a lot of them. That's uh, awesome. Or, or like in Kingdom Hearts, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he is pretending to be Deems Taylor, but Deems Taylor was a real guy. <laughs> a real man. <laughs> He's a real boy. Yeah, so that's Deems Taylor. He starts off the show by just kind of giving us the lowdown. He, he 
goes into this whole thing about how there's three kinds of music, one that tells a story and one that doesn't and one that kind of does. And I'm just, yeah, it's, it's fine. Yeah. I kind of wasn't buying it. I was kind of like, come on, just let's move, let's move along. Deems. (laughs) First of all, your name is Deems. What is with that? That's, that's even, that's even worse than Teehee. It's, it's not great. I want his name to be like James Taylor, but then it was like, no, that's, I'm not cool enough for that. I'm going to go with Deems. Yeah, it's not. It's not. I deems that to be acceptable. Yeah, in, in case it's not coming across in the podcast, his name is not Dean. It is not Deans. It's with an M, like as yeah, D E E M S. Yes, Deems Taylor. Yes, you know, which we've all have friends named Deems Taylor. <laughs> I, for one, know several, but they're well, all we, dorks. We, we so. do have a friend named Taylor. Um, it's true. He appeared on this podcast. We, maybe we should ask him if he's related to Deems. I bet he would say yes. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a liar. He's a good actor, ah, that one. Yeah, he is. His nose is still in my room. Uh, so Deem says that the first song, Takata and Fugue by Bach, is the third kind of song that does not tell a story. It simply exists for its own sake. Um, and then Disney chooses to animate this by not really presenting an animated story, but they show the orchestra with a bunch of colored lights and then they have all these abstract drawings. Yeah, as 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 um Deems said, these are not the interpretations of trained musicians, which was like, damn Deems, is this a call out <laughs> post? Like what are you doing? He was a little salty sometimes and I liked that. I liked yeah. when Deems got salty. But do we know if it was Deems that was salty or was it Corey Burton that was salty? Ooh. With, like may- maybe Deems' voice was much <laughs> more uh, you know, soft and, and loving, but then Corey yeah, Deems like, is actually saying, like, these are the interpretations of my dear friends. Yeah. One of them is the godfather of my youngest child. <laughs> and, and then like, Taylor's like, stink. Or, yeah, Corey's like, no, they're terrible. I hate them. What is your thought on Takata and Fugue? I mean, it's super, like, parts of it are super iconic. They're like, da da da, da 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 da. Did you know that Bach died from complications after eye surgery? No, he got LASIK? Yeah, it did not go well. Oh. One might say it was the first LASIK. <laughs> um, yeah, do you have any more background on, on Bach and uh, the, the song in general? I think I played it in high school orchestra, but beyond that, I don't know much about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I did, too. I mean, I have some background on Bach, but, like, I don't know, it's Bach. It's not, like, the mo- he's not the most, like, like, me telling y'all about Bach is not the most in- exciting <laughs> of all of the various orchestra people we could talk about. Yeah. Um, but it's a song designed for the organ. Um it's opens with a Takata, followed by a fugue, ends in a coda. Um, it's one of those famous organ songs, like, ever, which mm. checks out because I can't think of a more famous organ song. Yeah, not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, and I do know all the organ songs. Hmm. Um, I like the animation here. It's not representational. Yeah. The, it, the drawings aren't representing anything. It's purely abstract. Well, for the most part, there's a few things that look kind of like clouds and stuff. But um, and then for a while, I'm just like, you're just putting different color lights on the orchestra. Yeah, well, like, so, yeah. I, I actually really like that part. That was my favorite part. I was going to say. Oh, really? Um, yeah. The the showing the orchestra with shadows. It's another mm-hmm. example of shadows that we have in these early Disney movies. We we saw a lot of it in Pinocchio. They really uh, focused on animating these shadows. Maybe it was just like a new technique that they really wanted to stress. But here, it's not animation, but it's uh, it's actually the light on the orchestra, and we get different angles, and we see uh, the sort of overlaid on top of each other. I think, yeah, I think I, it's cool. I definitely I liked that part better. I liked it more than we did 
than when we got into the abstract with the colors. My favorite part mm-hmm. is when they like they there's this like bomb 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 moment and they light up the French horns one by one as they like hit their notes. Yes, I thought that was yeah. super cool. I like yeah. that a lot. But like I don't know. I didn't think once we like got into the colors, not lighting the orchestra, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like the colors matched up to the song the way that I was feeling that they would. Like it's a lot of like lighter colors, and I thought it should be more like mm-hmm. organ dark colors. More like but, Oregon colors, like green and uh, yellow. Yes, exactly. Is yeah. that an Oregon joke? It's an Oregon joke. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought it was. Great. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I, I like this one, though. Um, mm-hmm. I would say uh, it's uh, kind of the Diana DeGarmo to my Fantasia uh, experience. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I yeah. mean, I, I love the final image where you, like, you come back, so you have all these, like, shapes and stuff, and you come back to the conductor, but he's, like, silhouetted against this rising sun, and it feels, like, super triumphant, but also kind of, like, has malice to it. Hmm. I, I don't know. I, lo- I like that final moment a lot. Yeah. It's, like, reverse Lion King. The most important thing I can say in this entire section, though, is would you like to guess my favorite name of a, an arrangement of Bach songs? Uh, No. <laughs> I mean, I also love a lesser-known arrangement, Baby Got Bach, but the best <laughs> one is, and this one is real, Air on the G-String. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just. Uh, I'm not just, even gonna, gonna go there, but thank you. You don't yeah. need to. I just need to put it into the world that that is the name of a Bach arrangement. The second song. Let's move on to that one. And that <laughs> is the Nutcracker Suite. So Yes. So the Nutcracker Suite uh, kind of piqued my interest when we were listening to Deems Taylor talk. And wh- what he said was, he says, uh, you know, this this ballet, because the Nutcracker Suite is, was written as a ballet by Tchaikovsky, it wasn't much of a success, and nobody performs it nowadays. And that, this is yeah. What he, yeah, this is what he says. What a weird show. thing. Yeah, and I was like, ha funny, lol. I was like, lol's funny joke, man. Good one, Deems. Um, but then I looked it up. And I realized that he was actually right. Really? Uh, in 1940, when this came out, uh, the as of that time, the Nutcracker Suite Ballet was considered kind of a flop, and nobody performed <laughs> it. The Nutcracker Suite, the music, was performed in concerts, but the ballet itself was, was never performed. That's so um, weird. I assume yeah. it was a sort of weird joke. No, I thought that, yeah, I thought it was a joke too, and it, it's not. He was he was actually being serious. Um, because obviously now it's quite frequently performed. Right, exactly. And and I looked that up. It sort of in the 50s and 60s, it gained popularity as a ballet and then it got associated with Christmas time mm-hmm. and so then everyone started doing it at Christmas, but and now it's yeah, it's pretty much I mean, I don't know exactly, but I would assume it's probably one of the top two or three ballets performed in the United States, maybe with like Swan Lake or something. I mean, but, I'd say it's easily the most recognizable ballet, yeah. like even above Swan Lake. Yeah. Or like Peter and the Wolf or something. But the the music is the suite. And the suite originated mm-hmm. when Tchaikovsky wanted to have his music performed in a concert setting. And he kind of took little bits from each song of the ballet. So he took a little from here, he took this and this, and put it together in a 20 or so minute suite that could be performed as a concert piece. Right. So that is the, the suite. So the suite contains... Uh, well, it's Sugar Plum, Fiery, Chinese Dance, Dance of the Flutes, Arabian Dance, Russian Dance, and Waltz of the Flowers. So, yeah, there's six. Yeah. Um, so one of the reasons I really like the Nutcracker Suite is it's every one of these songs in the suite 
all six of these plus the one that they don't include, which might be the most famous of all, are <laughs> maybe some of the most recognizable classical musical pieces, classical right. music pieces in modern society. And you might be listening to this and. Uh, if you are not a fan of classical music, I'm sorry again, but uh, <laughs> that's pretty much what this episode is. But uh, even if you're not, you've heard these songs, right. and, and you know the the dance of the the sugar plum fairies is the dun 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 That's just like yeah. everyone knows that. Fun fact: When um, I got to play that on the flute for the first time, it was like one of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> I did it for a competition in high school, I think, and I was just like, yes. What what about the dance of the flutes? Which which do you like more between those? I'm those a sugar, I'm a sugar plum fairy girl. Okay. I lo- I love it and I love the the Russian dance. Cause I I actually mm. I played like for like one of the like weird band competitions that you had to do in high school. I did like part of the suite on the flute, mm-hmm. and the Russian dance is like really funky on the flute because it's oh, just okay. super fast and fun, and like is not built to be played on. That's a dun 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 and like that's not a flute song. No, it's like more of a brassy song it it is it's interesting that this is now the second straight uh uh movie that we're seeing with a russian dance this is (laughs) i looked up it's it's called the the tree pack t-r-e-p-a-k um it could actually be t-r-o-p-a-k which is a ukrainian dance um the spelling is not necessarily clear online but this is not to be confused with the hopak which was the other ukrainian dance that they (laughs) did in pinocchio in i've got no strings different dance Glad we're keeping um, it different. Yeah, and if you if you YouTube both of those, the Tropac and the Hopac, they look different. Uh, the Hopac is the kicking one. Oh, cool. So just going through the suite as it is animated, it goes through the seasons of the year, which I think is really cool. Yeah. First we see the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy. We see these fairies out there, and they're kind of activating the flowers and, and lighting everything up, and it... It's yeah. giving you this this nice spring feel. Then we see the Chinese dance, which we see these kind of Asian stereotyped mushrooms um, doing the the Chinese dance. Then we see the, uh, the flower petals dancing to the flute dance, and the flute dance is the one that goes. That's another. Very, oh yeah, very I mean famous it's one. It, it's gorgeous, and I, I think that's my favorite bit of animation in this piece mm-hmm. is like the flower petals, like the ballet feel. It's it's very cool because we, the fairies are you know they're still humanoid ish things, um, but the fact that we have these mushrooms and flowers all dancing, this is this is what silly symphonies, kind of has been, like and doing a super successful job of it because they look fantastic. So that's a really nice yeah. one. And then it goes into the Arab dance, which is underwater with some fish. Okay, Disney knows how to draw one type of fish, and it's the sexiest fish. <laughs> Why do you keep drawing like these sexy fish? Yeah, it looks the same as Cleo, and it's just a really sexy fish. Well, maybe Why? Cleo's uh, agent is just, like, really powerful <laughs> in the fish world. Yeah, Cleo actually plays all the fish. Yeah, She's maybe just, she like, does. She's, killing it. Good for her, yeah. man. It's hard yeah. enough to get ahead in this industry. Well, Figaro was having a hard time until like they made, he made it big with like Aristocats and Lady Tramp, <laughs> and then he was then he was good. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree that the, they they really do they they like doing their underwater stuff. Uh, yeah. Pinocchio had that whole underwater sequence, and now we have something like that here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that sequence. It's a little darker. Um, 
I like how there's, um, I don't know what, it's a, some reed instrument playing, and we get these trills at the end, and every time there's a trill, uh, one of the fish swim away, and the, the bubbles uh, go along. It goes like, da 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 that's the trill. da 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 And on that, the, the fish swims away. Um, so I like that. I think that's cool. And then we have the Russian dance with the more flowers and stuff. Uh, Loving that animation. It's just like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, it's just really beautiful flower work. Like, this scene yeah. is so, scene's so good. Yeah. It's so much better than all of Pinocchio. Yeah. So so we had that whole sequence, and it's kind of been, I guess this has been spring, has now been awoken, it's, it's awake, and that's why we have all the flowers. Then you have the waltz of the flowers, mm-hmm. and that's when the fairies come back, and they start turning everything into fall and then into winter. The leaves fall, and they, they start um, doing, like, ice dancing type yeah. of things. Yeah, and this is one with the, like, dandelion pod women, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so. just, like, it's so it's so good. I also think this is, like, the first time we see, like, the beginning of what a Disney fairy looks like, because, like, we have the blue fairy, yes. but she's, like, a human with wings and a little right. see-through. She, she, she looks like Glinda from... yeah. The Wizard of Oz. These look like these look like Tinkerbell, and it's right. like very like from the like pixie dust to the way that like their expressions are drawn. It's exactly. a very Tinkerbell like thing. Um, yeah, and and, uh, and they, the way they use their little wands or whatever it is to kind of spread sparkles on things. Yeah, and it's very Tinkerbell. Yeah. Now I gotta know going in, are you gonna be a fan of the Tinkerbell? Are you a fan of the full Tinkerbell franchise, Frodo? I've I have not. Um, I also have kind of been awoken. Or I've been, I'm also woke to the fact that Tinkerbell's kind of like evil in Peter Pan and like oh, very yeah. jealous, very um, much so. Well, it's because yeah. she's so small, she can only feel one emotion at a time. Oh, okay, that makes sense. She's kind of she's like a cold blooded animal, but with like emotions. Yeah, but I I got a pitch for the like the Tinkerbell like revitalization series that Disney has mm. done with a bunch of movies. They're really good. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I I honestly like assumed that wasn't for me and just didn't watch them. I mean, that's uh, entirely fair. I only watched them because, like, when I was in Orlando, I was working with Tinkerbell a lot, and she, like, you meet Tinkerbell and, like, one of her fairy friends, or not mm. anymore, but you did, and I'm like, I would love to know who these people are that I'm helping children meet so I can, like, help have a conversation, or, like, if a kid is less familiar with them, introduce them. So I watched them all. And they're, mm-hmm. the sound, the, the soundtrack, it's it's orchestral, it's not, like, songs, oh, okay. but it's, the soundtrack is absolutely delightful. Oh, really? Yeah, like, pull it up on, like, Spotify sometime, just, like, get the soundtrack, and just, mm. like, put it on in the background while you're working. It's so evocative and lovely. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'll check it out sometime. Yeah. Yes. Everyone else should, too. Um, yeah, so the the last one is The Waltz of the Flowers, and um, how does that one go again? I'm, I'm, it's not coming to mind right now. That's the part. Yeah. That's the part people know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, that's that one. Um, <laughs> but the one that they don't play, mm-hmm. the one song from the suite that everyone knows they don't play, is the the normal march, the the sort of the Nutcracker's main march. That's the one that that is like the one that people associate with Christmas. How's that one go again? Now I'm completely blanking. Dun 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 oh, dun, dun dun. Perfect. Probably the most famous one because it's always played on Christmas, but they don't put that in here. It's yeah, the one we don't hear, which is weird. Would this be an appropriate time to share the story of the closest I ever came to dancing in the Nutcracker? Oh, yeah. Please, please explain. All right. Well, it was my senior year of high school, 
and it was around the holidays, but it was the last day of school before winter break, and my AP English teacher had been like, listen, we can, like, perform things for the last day of, of class before winter break, because that's the sort of class that we were. We were full of nonsense. <laughs> um, so, like, one girl, like, wrote a poem about the class, like, the 12 Days of Christmas about, about each of us. It was delightful. But a couple of our, a couple of my friends, um, two of my friends played the violin, and my other friend, Carrie... And I, um, we were like, what if you guys, they were like, we're going to play the Nutcracker. And Carrie and I were like, what if we dance to it though? (laughs) So my friends went up to the front of the class, like with their violins in hands, like in a high school setting. And Carrie and I, while everyone was distracted, like pulled on tutus and ballet slippers at our desks. And as soon as they, they burst forth the dun, 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 we like leapt from our seats. (laughs) So this was not an actual ballet performance. This was, like, a bunch of 12-year-old girls being, like, weird. Oh, no, this is worse. We were 18. Oh, God. This was senior year of high school. And Uh, we, like, burst forth, and she chased me around the room with her slipper as she was Clara (laughs) and I was the Rat King. And that's the closest I've ever come to dancing in the Nutcracker. I stopped doing ballet at a very young age. Yeah, the Nutcracker Suite. I like this one. Each of the songs is short. Uh, Some of these other pieces kind of drag. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right of spring. Um... (laughs) And I like how they're animated to tell the story of of spring and then fall and winter. Uh, so I'm going to say that this is uh, the Jennifer Hudson of Fantasia. It's, yeah. it's, in my opinion, maybe the best performance, but it was uh, out of Fantasia's way too early. It, it's This is too Ooh. early in the movie. Just like how Jennifer Hudson came uh, in seventh place. Clearly robbed. So. All right. Well, now the next one is the one you've all maybe been waiting for, and that is yes. The Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Sorcerer's Apprentice! <laughs> Amanda, I'll let you take the lead on this one, because I know this is one that's near and dear to your yes, heart. Yes, I absolutely adore this one. Part of it is because um, it's a main part of Fantasmic, which is a show at Disney Hollywood Studios and Disneyland that I absolutely adore, and it's just... Such an iconic piece of Disney history. And, I mean, like, this is the reason that they made Fantasia, was for this piece. Like, they had developed this piece, and they were like, well, this is not enough to, like, justify buying the equipment for every theater we need to do things for. It it also uh, had some innovations for Mickey Mm -hmm. were coming about at this time. Yeah. Well, this is the first time he had pupils. Yes, yes, that was what I was going to say. Before Mickey's eyes were either, they were, like, all black in a sort of very large yeah. field, so they were kind of all pupils. Which is not, um, no good. Here, yeah, so, so, but here they were like, no, we're going to make a definitive white area of his mm-hmm. eye, and then in that there will be a pupil, and it's not just going to be a big black thing moving around on his entire face. Right. That, <laughs> yes. Um, now, just sort of going into Sorcerer's Apprentice, um, our old friend Deems um, mentions that this is based on a story that the story came before the song in this one and the story was over yeah. 2000 years old whoa it is that's that's really old well, it's it's like kind of not um because <laughs> i like was like this seems wrong that doesn't seem right. yeah i mean 2000 years ago was before Jesus. <laughs> right um so what actually it is is that it's based on like more specifically it's based on a Gerda poem um from 1797 um, it's a 14 stanza ballad, um, written by Goethe, um, a German, very famous German poet, but it is 
could be based on like it has some some similarities to Philopsides. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's it's an ancient Greek short story um, where they they like tell various tales. It's like a Canterbury Tales sort of style, like Frank a frame mm-hmm. story. Um, and there's a tale that the main character in that recounts. It's similar to Goethe's Zabberlering, which is the best way I can pronounce what Source's Apprentice is in German. Um, okay. And so it's the oldest known variation of this like type of tale. Gotcha. But like. Like, I'm just, like, looking at the Wikipedia for similar themes now, but, like, you see things like this, and, like, in Gollum, in Frankenstein, in Midas, in Faust, mm. in, like, the monkey's paw, just a lot of issues of, like, people who want a thing and then it turns out doing bad for them. Right, right. Because of, like, like, hubris and stuff. Right, you you create something and then that, that thing uh, becomes overpowered or whatever. Right. Like, this is not a new idea, so sure, it could be at least 2,000 years ago, but the actual poem was from 1797. Mm. Um, and then the composer of the Sorcerer's Apprentice piece um, is Paul Abraham Dukas. It's D-U-K-A-S, and he's French, so I'm going to guess Dukas. Yeah. Duckass. <laughs> Donald Duckass. That's it. Um, he's mostly... Like, this is the thing he's most well-known for. Um, he was a composer and a music critic. Um, he worked between, like, he's... Like Deems Taylor. Exactly! But just yeah. older. Um, and he worked in, like... And not the... dubbed by Corey Burton. No. Somehow managed to, like, get past that. Um, and he worked in, like, the early 20th century, late 19th century. Um, oh. So he wrote Sources of in the late 1800s, um, in 1897. Well, why don't we talk about the animation for Sources of Prentice? Because that's... Even though you might be familiar with it, it's a big thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, first off, it, like, it starts off and Mickey is like, you know, so basically Mickey is the sorcerer's apprentice, for those of you not familiar with it, and he's apprenticed to the sorcerer. Um, and the sense, the sorcerer is not someone we've seen before, and he is now called Yen Sid. I, was he always called Yen Sid, or were they like, was this like a recent I'm thing pretty sure his name was always Yen Sid, um, which is Disney backwards for those of you who are, right, don't know. Right. Um, I think it was originally written. I mean, I'd be like, in. I mean, it's never said, and I don't know what the current yeah, situation yeah. is. It, it was some some cheeky people at Disney at Disney Animation Studios were like, oh, well, call him Yen Sid. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yen is not a name, mm. by the way. That is an amount of money. <laughs> In Japan, but it is not a no, name. No, it's not. Sid, Sid is a name. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's Disney backwards. There is some talk that they try to make it look kind of like Walt Disney. I mean... Who knows? You guys have seen photos of Walt Disney and photos... And you can look at Yun Sid. They don't really look no. alike. I don't it's know. It's pretty <laughs> basic animation. Like, that's not the yeah. animation that they clearly put the time into um, in yeah. this scene. But it's weird to see Mickey without the hat on in this red robe. I was like, wait a second, mm. but then I was like, no, that's the plot of this piece we're watching. Um, but the, yeah, the yeah. sorcerer leaves, and Mickey has to, like, carry water back and forth, and he gets frustrated, so he enchants, he puts on the sorcerer's hat, enchants a broom to carry buckets for him, and then he falls asleep, the broom gets overexcited and keeps doing it, he murders the broom, like, just straight up murders yeah, the broom with an axe. Well, that's what they were. Um, that's what uh, Stromboli threatened to do to Pinocchio. He was going like, to yeah. chop him up for fire. And then he so. did that. But then the broom, yeah. each of those pieces turned into another broom and like multiplied mm-hmm. into giant broom chaos nonsense. A lot of mm-hmm. problems. Um, it was interesting yeah. actually I, that Mickey isn't like characterized the way we think of Mickey now in this piece. 
like Mickey now is very much like I'm the responsible one. <laughs> I'm in charge. Yeah, and this was yeah. like he acted like Donald. Like yeah. getting into trouble and stuff. Maybe that's just because I like I know there there's a a like movie show thing at Disney called Philhar Magic, which I absolutely love. And it's basically mm-hmm. like Mickey's about to conduct an orchestra and he has his hat yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Donald sneaks in and takes the hat and like gets swept up in a magical journey of like chaos. It's great. Yeah. And this kind of felt uh, more like that than I remembered it feeling. Yeah, in the making of video that I watched, they actually talked about this. They said that some of the animators at Disney at this time were kind of getting bored of Mickey Mm. and preferred working with Donald because Mickey's stories, you know, he was always the good guy. He didn't really get in too much trouble, or if he did, he he always came out on top. There wasn't... um, there wasn't the possibility of, like, a, as much range there. And people liked working with Donald because he was the opposite. Yeah. Got mad and angry. You know, you know, like, more range. And this was an opportunity for them, they thought, mm-hmm. to take Mickey and give him more character. So th- I think that was an intentional That's thing fair. on the part of the animators. Yeah. I also forgot the song has, like, a full-on dream sequence where Mickey controls yeah, yeah. the stars. Yeah, th- that allows us to kind of pass the time so they've there's enough water has been brought out to form an entire lake yeah in the um i also think so. that this song has the best examples of like animation going along with the song partially because the song is written with the story in mind but like <laughs> yeah, just like yeah, those yeah. beats they hit were like as like the broom's yeah, arms walking, pop yes. out of it it's just very good it, it yeah it's also it's a song in three again another mm-hmm. one but it's not this is not what we'd think of as a normal waltz, even though that's like, you know, you, you say, oh, a waltz, it's in three. Um, it's not like the the waltz of the fairies, or the waltz of the flowers that we heard. No, this, this is, is an, a, it's a plot An aggressive three, waltz. Is, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the marching, and we have the pouring of the water, mm-hmm. and it all builds up, and eventually... Mickey overcomes everything, and he, he gets rid of all the water and solves the problems, and he wins. Yay, Mickey. That's what happens, right? Yeah, totally. Mickey, Everything's fine. Mickey solves it. Mickey fixes it. Definitely no one comes in and shouts at Mickey. But no, that's not that's not what happens. Uh, and it, like I knew that that's not what happened, but like it still kind of surprised me. You know, you'd expect Mickey would be the one to right. come up with a clever idea to sol- save the day, but no, he just... the Yes, Nid comes back, and he's like... N- or, not yes, Nid. Yen Sid comes back and he's kind of he's like, no. And then he, he just fixes it. He yells it. Yeah, he just gets rid of the water and that's the end. Yep, he it's goes, basically just bah, like bah, bah, being bah, bah. an intern and every experience yeah. I've ever had. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like you're you do mess up something on the computer and you're like sitting there for like an hour thinking like, oh my god, how am I gonna fix yeah. this? And then the boss comes and he's like, oh, you like you just yeah, just just hit, just hit enter like, alt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a very relatable piece. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of it's kind of witty or snappy yeah. in that way. Like the, the, it has a good ending. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with with sequences like this, there is a uh, always a chance that they drag or they last too long. Right. Um, similar with like, and this is kind of a tangent, but like I often think this with like sketch comedy on like SNL. Oh yeah. There's always a chance with ske- with segments that they drag, and then you're just like. There's diminishing returns. I like that with Sorcerer's Apprentice, it ends at the peak mm-hmm. and then we're done. Speaking of things that drag, <laughs> do you know what the next song is? Right of Spring. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of songs that drag. Well, so the, right after the song ends, Mickey actually comes out onto the stage, and that's a really cool Oh, that's so, shot. it's such a cool moment. I'm just like, 
dang, Disney, you're really showing off now, and I love it. He, but he, like, yeah, he comes yeah. out and he shakes hands with the conductor and, like, congratulates him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is not the first instance of Disney using animation and live action together, but it is the first time we're getting it in one of these Disney mm-hmm. animated canon. What is the first time movies. they do it? It was real early. Like I, I don't remember exactly, but I was at a there's, well, there's a Walt Disney Museum in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and like it was a thing they were playing around with like early, like even nice. before they were really well known. So, but this is a cool instance of it, um, and it kind of works because of the shadows and the lighting. They, they don't have to animate him too much, but it's it's just cool, and you see him. You also kind of get a, a sense of like how tall Mickey is compared to right. Like, like we, like, we never really knew this before. You know, he's, like, sort of the same size as dogs yeah. and ducks um, in his world. Yeah. So it's, like, really not clear. Uh, but now he's, like, what, like, a fourth the size yeah, of a he, person? Yeah, he comes to the composer's, like, knee. Yeah. And by so. composer, I mean conductor. Yeah. Um, we know how big Mickey is now, everyone. Yes, when few. you see him at Disney World, he's too big. He's not actually that big. Well, they just make him a little bit bigger so it's easier for people to see him. They make him? Yeah, what? they use a little bit of extra magic. Oh, yeah, okay, good good point. <laughs> um, all right, let's, let's just get through Rite of Spring, because that's the one that's next. Oh, it's my by, God. Uh, is this the one that is Stravinsky, I believe? Yes, this is the one where they picked the wrong Stravinsky song to cover. Yeah. I'm a Firebird um, girl. Yeah, it, it, it's a very, uh, as all the sources I've seen say, it, it's very daring. I mean, I think the controversial bit is like, the evolution-based things and the idea that, like, endorsement of science... It was a controversial choice also because uh, Stravinsky was still alive. I believe all the other composers were dead. Ooh, interesting. So, like, he was kind of, like, alive and maybe didn't really... He wasn't totally on board with this, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, uh, the, and then the other reason it was really controversial was because of, yeah, the science, yeah. like you said. And Deems, like, really went for it in the intro. He called it a, quote, coldly accurate reproduction and said that science, not art, wrote this sequence... Yeah. Deems um, so judgmental. Yeah, it's interesting how we get um, the contrast here of science, and then we have religion very heavily in the Nine Bald Mountain one, mm-hmm. um, which we can get to at the end. Yeah. Not saying that science and religion have to be in, contra- in controversy or against one another. Yeah, but it's interesting to see them work yeah. in the same place. Um, but it's interesting how this is... So, at least nowadays, when, when people think of evolution and, and it's kind of put in this place where it's it's battling against mm-hmm. religion, um, in that context, we, we, it's kind of a bold statement yeah. by Disney. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, because like, originally they were going to continue the anim- animation, like, past the dinosaurs into, like, early man, but then people were mm. like, no, no, then you're saying that evolution's real, for sure. Yeah. So you can't do that. Right. So they were like, okay, fine. But we're gonna put the dinosaurs in. Yeah, um, but it's even though it's it's a very long sequence, it is cool. They really they go through the whole thing. They have the Big Bang and the. Um, well, I don't know if they do. They have the Big they Bang. Have, like, they just have kind of they have like sort of around. early what 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 would look like to me the Big Bang, but they don't like say. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then they have the molten planet yeah. and the beginnings of life. I like and... when the volcanoes erupt to the beat. Yeah, yeah. There is actually... Disney included some special effects even in that sequence. They uh, they used all sorts of techniques to create that lava, the, using filming different liquids in oh, different cool. ways. Um, yeah, it was some early uh, 
advancements. Not computer advancements, because they yeah. didn't have that yet, but um, they used more than just simple drawing to nice. create these the images of the lava. Yeah. It's also interesting that, like, they've actually made the song, which spans, like, 10, 10 million years or whatever, take real time to get through. Mm-hmm. Because it, it did last for 10 million <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it did last for a long time. And... Uh, I think maybe we had a little too much time with the lava. The dinosaurs are cool seeing because at least at this time, you know, this is before the Land Before Time. This yeah. is before Disney's dinosaur. Well, and also I um, think it's the one thing that I thought was super cool about the dinosaurs is that like these dinosaurs don't move the way we think of dinosaurs moving now. And yeah. part of that is because like this is pre like I mean the big like push for like making dinosaurs more accurate in movies was Jurassic Park, right? Like that's when yeah, they like yeah. actually did research. I'm like, oh, they move like like chickens. And these dinosaurs yeah. moved like snakes, which was yeah. weird. And, um, like, their claws were not quite right. And, like, the proportions yeah, the, were a little the, bit their, off. Yeah, their hands were a little bit big. They're, they were standing a little too upright. But it's still... Uh, it, it it was, at that time, realistic. Oh, right? sure, like, yeah. I don't think that Disney was trying... Yeah, they were trying to depict things as they were. No, but I mean, I think that's the, the fascinating time... part, is that, like, what we think yeah. of as realistic has changed so much since then. Yeah. I mean, people had seen... Some dinosaurs, like, I think, you know, things like King Kong battling T-Rex, like, those existed right. around the 30s and 40s, but this was the first time, probably, well, I'm pretty sure this is the first time that a feature-length animated movie is going to have dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. animated. Well, um, I mean, Deems, like, explained what the T-Rex was beforehand. Yeah. He's the king of the, the jungle or something? <laughs> what, did Some they, what did he say? Unclear. All I remember is that I was just, like, I mean, my notes literally just say, like, why do I have to watch all this dinosaur murder? This movie is for children. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It deems actually he calls the, he he says the T Rex is akin to bullies and gangsters because that's something the kids could relate to. Back then, <laughs> gangsters. Yep, I know that as a child, I often had to deal with gangsters. Yeah, um, and then it ends with what seems to me like the breakup of Pangaea. Um, yeah, the continents kind of break up. Literally, and... like all the dinosaurs just die on stage on yeah. screen in front of you. Just there's yeah. so much dinosaur murder. Yeah, they're all like dying of. Like thirst. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think they knew about the whole asteroid theory yet. Well, they said so Dean a... said something that like I can remember if he like at this point like we were approaching intermission. I was I was fading fast. I was like, yeah, this is yeah. so much so yeah. much dinosaur. Um, but it's an interesting snapshot into yeah. the scientific understanding of 70, 78 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't have anything yeah, else to the... say about Rite of Spring. It took forever. Like I could yeah, yeah. live without it. Yeah. So now that we've listened to both the Nutcracker Suite and the Rite of Spring, I wanted to point out uh, two instances, one in each, that I think uh, these sound very similar to something else that a lot of people are familiar with as in terms of classical-esque music, and that is the Star Wars soundtrack. Hmm. So one of them is my own uh, observation, and one is actually one that I've, I've heard um, elsewhere, but... Uh, specifically, the Rite of Spring was said to have influenced John Williams in some of his Tatooine music. Oh, cool. Um, so if you go to, I looked, it's about eight minutes into the Rite of Spring here. It's when we start getting the single-celled organisms in the in the animation, mm-hmm. and the music kind of goes... And that, that little interval there is then copied by John Williams uh, when C-3PO and R2-D2 are wandering around... Mm-hmm. Uh, Tatooine in the beginning of episode four. It's when 
C-3PO goes like, over here, if you remember that part. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so so that that is, uh, and that's not something that I've noticed, that's something that people talk about, uh, how John Williams borrowed from the Rite of Spring. So, uh, in case you, uh, you like Star Wars and you think that classical music is boring, part of Star Wars was influenced by Rite of Spring. Maybe John Williams, a young John Williams, really liked single-celled organisms and was like, that, I'm going to use that in the future. Yes. And then the second instance of this is in the Nutcracker Suite. This is not something I've heard before, but it when I was listening to the Arab dance, part of it really reminded me of the Rebel Fanfare in Star Wars. So mm-hmm. um, the Rebel Fanfare is uh, part, it's not the main theme, but it's the part that goes da 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 da. It's a it, if you watch Star Wars, you've heard that before. Yes. Um, that actually sounds very similar to me to the Arab dance, which has a part that goes da 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 da. It's just kind of a lower and maybe a little bit more sad sounding version of uh-huh. the, the the Rebel fanfare. So I don't know if those are similar, but um, or I know that they're similar. I don't know if they want <laughs> sure if they're the other. influenced. Yeah, right. Um, but it's just something that uh, even if you're not interested in, in classical music or even if you're not too familiar with classical music, it's cool listening to some of these and kind of hearing parts where, oh, like that sounds like something that I have I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there's other places where if you listen to these songs, you know, you can find a part of Toccata, or you can find a part of uh, Sources Apprentice where you can say, say oh, like that, that interval or that series of notes reminds me of uh, some pop song I've heard. Right. So, well, now that we've reached the intermission of the movie, I think this could be a good place to... Uh, to kind of take a break. Yep. Uh, Our own intermission, as it were, a full week intermission. Yeah, we'll have another episode coming about Fantasia. We will wrap all of this up. We'll talk a little bit about the rest of the songs. We'll talk a little bit about what happened when Fantasia actually came out and Mm -hmm. whether or not it was a success. Yeah. Um, You'll have to to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, uh, so make sure you tune back in next time for the rest of this episode. exciting discussion and in the meantime make sure you like us on facebook follow us on twitter and then like subscribe and rate the podcast reviews are even just rating the podcast makes a big difference in getting us more exposure and we're still a pretty new podcast so we would love to get some more audience members to listen and hear us ramble about classical music for an hour uh so this has been frodo the lawyer this has been amanda the person and thank you for listening to wish a pot a star don't murder your brooms (laughs) 